Hey family, it's good to see you all. If you're online, thank you for being with us. It's, it's good to have you with us, even though I can't see your faces. My name is Eddie. I am the lead pastor here. Thank you for being with us. If you're new, I, I hope that you've been welcome. But if not, welcome. Thanks for joining us. I see some faces in the auditorium that I haven't seen in a while, so it's good to see you guys. See some little people, which is awesome. Parents, if the little people get a little rowdy, don't freak out. I don't mind. It's not going to distract me or bother me. So let's, we're all going to have a good time. Uh, if you're online, thank you again for being with us. If there are little people online or teenagers, thanks for joining us. I hope that you're uh, feeling well, even though you're having to wake up on a weekday or a weekend rather. Um, before we get into the word, I just have one announcement tonight or not tonight. This afternoon, right, right at 12:30, we are we are kicking off. We're relaunching our small groups for this season, and so we're going to have a Zoom kickoff moment. And if you would like to be a part of that, I would love for you to join us. You can do so by texting small groups as one word to 474747. And we will send you the link and it will allow you to join us on Zoom where myself and our, our small group directors, Karen and David Montgomery, will be, uh, and our small group leaders are going to be just sharing a little bit about what we do in small groups, why we do what we do, and just how valuable it is for your life and my life. And I know that personally I'm looking forward to re, uh, restarting things with my small group. I, I miss my small group people, many of whom I, I assume are online. So it's good to see you guys. I hope to see you soon. Um, small groups are important. I was trying to think of why I should say they're important. They're important for a lot of reasons. <laughs> they're super important. Anyways, uh, my brain decided to quit. Um, well, we, we've been taking the last two weeks, this past week and this week, to talk about mission and, and values and, and who we are as a church. And last week we talked about the fact that we desire to help people encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend the kingdom of God. And this fits within our vision to really win this city. You know, that's Pastor Brett's vision. It's been his vision. And it's our vision as a church to win the city, really this, this D.C., Maryland, Virginia, metropolitan area. We want to win it to Christ. And so the way that we do that is through our mission of helping people encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend this kingdom. And today, I want to talk about uh, values, and, and I'm not talking about uh, something off the value menu. I'm talking about something, things that shape who we are, and it shapes kind of the, the culture or atmosphere of our church. I was, I was doing a little research on Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. Uh, I like their spicy chickens. You can give applause for Chick-fil-A if you want. <laughs> um, I love their spicy chicken sandwiches, their, their chicken noodle soup. Um, their milkshakes, I could just keep going, but I really like Chick-fil-A. They've got good salads as well. Um, <laughs> this message is not brought to you by Chick-fil-A, but, um, but one thing I appreciate most about them, and it's been interesting even to see as they've, they've pivoted and other companies have pivoted through the, the pandemic, is their commitment to service. And, and they're a service-oriented organization. And if you go and do a little bit of research and find out who they are corporately, you will find out uh, that the, their culture, uh, they want to create a culture of care. That's something that they state as a business. It's a goal of theirs is to create a culture of care. And because of that, they've adopted four values. I'm going to share them with you. One is that we're here to serve. 
And when you go to Chick-fil-A, unless, you know, you, you come to the anomaly, for the most part, you experience that. We're here to serve. So they are there to serve you. Uh, they, they say thank you, and, and they say you're welcome, and it's my pleasure. They, they're there to serve you. Uh, another value they have is that we're better together. And you can kind of sense that as well. You can see the camaraderie on their, in their teams. If you, if you get to know any of the, the workers, you find out that they tend to hang out together and do things apart from work time together. Um, another one is that we are purpose-driven. And, and you can see that. If their purpose is to create a culture of care, if they want to honor God in, in their business, you see that coming out in the way they do the things that they do. And then finally it says, we pursue what's next. And, and I think we can see that to some degree, maybe, maybe not as much as the other ones. I mean, they've got an app, and they try to, to be one step ahead, and they're, they're developing new things. But these values express something about the culture that they're trying to create. And so they're trying to create a culture of care, and I think we've experienced that if you've gone. At Grace Covenant Church, we have a mission, which is, again, to help people encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend the kingdom of God. And, and along that, we want to create a, a Christ-centered, gospel-focused, God-on-mission type culture. And so we've got five values that, that we have established as a church. It's also the five values that, that our uh, family of churches, Every Nation, has established. And these five values really drive and direct and shape the culture at Grace Covenant Church. Those five values are lordship, and I'm going to talk about these, and I want to repeat them over and over, so if you miss one, don't worry. Lordship, and that's just the idea that Jesus is Lord and and the implications of that. Evangelism, we have really good news to share. Discipleship, we have a mission to help people follow Christ. Leadership development, you and I, we all have influence to steward. And then family. We've all got families to cherish and church community to commit to. So we're going to talk about these things, and, and my hope is that by the end of it, you will be convinced that these are things that you want to adopt in your own life as ways of expressing how God is working in your life and the kind of culture that you want to, you want to establish in your own lives, organizations, families, because they are centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ and on the, the grace of God himself. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the fact that you have established your church and that you've given us a purpose and a mission, that you've given us a message, and that you've put us in the world to be salt and light, to be people who, who share your good news, who help people to grow in grace, who lead, who show the, the stability and the, the, the God honoring focus of family and who ultimately express the fact that you are Lord. God, I pray that right now your word would show us just how important these things are for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, thanks. Now, if, you've, uh, if you're joining us for the first time, normally we, we, we go through a single passage, but because of the uniqueness of this moment, we're going to go through five or six different passages. I will repeat them again and again. So if you miss them, I'll, I'll try to repeat them again. But these are, these are texts that, that hopefully help us to see the reality that permeates Scripture. So they're not proof texts in the sense that this is the only thing that we're just drawing this out. But they're, they're texts that, that show us something about the fact that God uh, 
God is a God of lordship. God is a God of evangelism, discipleship, leadership development, family, etc. So first, let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And I'll read it out loud. You don't have to stand. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. The Apostle Paul tells us this. Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So Paul tells them, just as you received Christ as Lord, in that same manner walk out your faith as Christ is your Lord. Lordship is this idea that Christ is Lord. He's not just our Savior. He's not just a safety net. He's not just a, a, uh, a life vest, but he is our Lord. And in the Greek, that word means Lord. It means master. Now, in, in the United States, I don't know how much we can relate to that, um, we, we tend to have either no relationship to the word or a very understandably negative relationship to the word Lord, Master. But the reality is that Jesus is a good master. And in fact, he's created us, God has created us to be subjects. He's created us to submit our lives to something or someone, namely to himself. Now, sin entered the world and we submitted ourselves to the enemy, to Satan, in, in Genesis chapter 3. And, and so we see that, that we have a bent towards submitting ourselves to things that are wrong, but God has called us to be followers of him and fall under his lordship. Paul encourages the Colossians to continue to follow Christ, to walk in him as he says it, in the same manner that they received them, namely as their Lord. When we believe the gospel message, when we receive Jesus, we're not just receiving a person who saves us from our sins, but as the Lord who leads us in our lives. In, in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says this, talking about God the Father. He has delivered us, listen to the language here, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of who? His beloved son. Family, I love you. Ladies, your mom, your, your mom or dad might have called you a princess, but you are not the queen. Men, you are not the king. We are, maybe we could say we're princes and princesses in the kingdom of God because we will rule with him, absolutely. But he is Lord. He is king. And when you're transferred from one kingdom, you're not transferred to go do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. You're transferred to go do what, who? Jesus wants you to do, what he wants you to do. We're transferred into his kingdom. Therefore, we submit our lives to him. We submit our ways to him. We submit our purposes to him. And, and many of you would, would nod yes, but what that means is that on Monday, when you're on Route 28, when you're on 66, your disposition toward the person who's in front of you just, just cut you off, it has implications for what you believe about who is your Lord. When you go into the office and your coworker is acting like that coworker, frustrated and annoying, your response to that coworker indicates something about what you believe about who is Lord. When you go home at six o'clock and you see your family, your spouse, and your children, and they're acting the way that they're acting, godly and and loving, however they might be acting, your response to them 
is an expression of what you believe about who is the Lord of your life. When you go to the bank and decide, okay, I'm going to put this money here, or, or you go to the store and you say, I'm going to buy this, or, or you, you come to church and say, I'm going to tithe or I'm not going to tithe, your use of money is an expression of who you believe is what? Lord. Everything we do in this Christian walk must be in response to the fact that Jesus is Lord. Now, now this could come off as a downer because we have this inclination, this desire to be in charge. You know, you can watch it with, with little people. They'll, they'll begin to play a game and they'll, they'll want to start a game, but then the question of who's in charge comes up and then it just completely gets derailed. I'm in charge. I know I'm in charge. I'm the leader. I'm, no, me. We want to be in charge, but the good news is that we are not in charge. Jesus is in charge, and he is a much better master than you and me. He's got a longer view of things. He's got more knowledge. He knows our, our lives better. He knows the things that are happening better than us. He's more patient, more kind, more loving, more just, more righteous. He's a good, good, good master. Because of this, we believe that that lordship matters for, for our life, for your life, for the church. And, and we're not going to apologize for calling you to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus. You know, I was reflecting on, on um, I don't know, I had to share for something. And it was funny because I was really nervous. And I don't know how you perceive me, but I don't perceive myself as a nervous person normally. Uh, if anything, you know, especially in my 20s, I was very gregarious, outgoing, loud. I, I've since learned that when I'm loud, my children become loud, and so I have to practice not being loud. Um, but, but I was nervous, which it felt out of, out of sorts. And I realized, and the reason it felt out of sorts is because on Sundays, I don't feel nervous. Now, I may say foolish things or, or, or make a mistake on stage. I may just blank out, and, and you guys kind of wait patiently for me to finish my thought. Um, but, but I don't necessarily feel nervous often. But I felt nervous because what I realized was that I was not standing on, on Scripture. I was standing on, you know, these are my thoughts about such and such. And, and I was kind of asked to pontificate to some degree. And when, when I stand on my own ability, I don't feel very confident. But when I stand on the Word of God, what God has told us, I have no problem encouraging you, calling you up, asking you, begging you, telling you, this is what God has said. Because the reality is we are all accountable to what God has said and none of you are accountable to what I say apart from what Christ says. No, Jesus is not going to ask you at the end of the day, well, did you follow Eddie's commands? But he is going to ask, did you follow my commands? And so it's so important that we embrace Christ's lordship. And because of this, because of this reality of the fact that Jesus is Lord, we should faithfully carry this message to the world. If you look at John, you probably don't even need to look at John 3.16. Um, if, you've, if you've not grown up in the church, John 3.16 is a fairly well-known verse. It's in the Gospel of John, and Jesus is speaking, and he says this, I don't know why I'm going there to look at it, but <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. This is the manner in which God loved the world. That he gave his son. He gave his son as, as a, a perfect, holy, righteous sacrifice in our place for our sins 
so that whoever believes in him, in other words, whoever trusts Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, instead of our own ability to make things right, will have eternal life. And that eternal life is with the Father in reconciliation, in relationship with God himself. This is the good news. And this is news that's been entrusted to us as a church. As we talk about grace coming at church, we are passionate about sharing this good news that's been given to us. Jesus was passionate about this. If you go to Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the last one was uh, John three sixteen. This one's Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I said I would repeat these, so I need to repeat them. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says this. He's talking to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a guy who, he's a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed into a sycamore tree to see what he could see. If you didn't grow up in church, that's a thing. Look it up. I don't even think I could have not said that. Um, he was a short man. He climbed into a tree. Jesus was coming and he wanted to see Jesus. See, that was not nearly as interesting or engaging as what I just said. And he's talking to Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus is talking to Jesus and, and Zacchaeus comes into faith and, and he believes Jesus and, and Zacchaeus responds and he says, Lord, half of my goods, and, and he had been cheating people. He was a tax collector and he'd been cheating people. Um, but Jesus went, he engaged him, he, he, he welcomed him. And Zac Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, half of my goods I give to the poor and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In other words, I'm gonna give half of what I've taken half of my everything, and I'm going to give it to the poor, and I'm going to pay back everyone that I've stolen from four times over. Because he had been so impacted by Jesus. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also has come to, since he also is a son of Abraham. In other words, since Zacchaeus has put faith in, in Christ, he's a son of Abraham, and he says in verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and save whom? The lost. Jesus had a mission to seek and save the lost. People had written Zacchaeus off. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Now Jesus, kind of a big deal in the Christian world, right? We are called Christians because of whom? Christ. And if Jesus wants to save people, what should our mission, what should, what should we be about? The salvation of whom? People. We care about the lost because Jesus cares about the lost. And family, we're the only organization that's mandated to do so. Now, there are other organizations that not, there are parachurch organizations and, uh, you know, the Salvation Army, they, they are based on some Christian uh, uh, principles, Chick-fil-A even, if you, again, if you were to go to the mission statement, their, their mission is to honor God, which is interesting. But um, there are other organizations that may give a nod, but they're in no way, shape, or form required to do this. And, and most, of what, most, most of them won't. The, the church... And by church, I mean us. This is the thing that we've been given to do is to seek and save the lost. Now, we don't necessarily change hearts, but we, we provide the gospel message. We, we're heralds. We're, we're uh, preachers. We give this gospel message because no one else is doing that. You know, we're very involved with Mobile Hope, which is a, an organization that, that provides food and, and supplies all kinds of things, even housing for some people. And they do amazing things, and we care about them because we care about the community. We care about the community's physical needs. We care about Dominion High School, so we do things for Dominion High School. But the reality is, that, that is part one. That is not the end-all, be-all of who we are. 
It could never be the end-all be-all of who we are because God has entrusted us with the command to not only care for physical needs, but, but to care for spiritual needs. Evangelism, we need to share this message. And so uh, it's important that we, we relate that way. So what, what does that look like for you and me, right? <laughs> it, it could be easy for you to hear these points and, and walk away and say, yes, the church needs to do that. The church, church needs to be about, about lordship, uh, about evangelism, discipleship, leadership development, and, and family. And then on Monday, it has have no impact on your life. But if Jesus is your Lord, if he's your savior, if he's given you this message and you've trusted in it, and you know, you know that, that this is the only way of salvation, then, then it, it demands that you and I do something about it. That we, that we share the gospel and how it's changed our lives with our neighbors, with our coworkers. That we participate in outreach opportunities that open the door to sharing the gospel, that we pray for opportunities to share the, the gospel, to be ready and be ready when those opportunities arise. You know, and I just pray, God, please give me an opportunity. And then when someone, hey, tell me about your faith. Like, I don't want to. <laughs> and, and hey, no, no um, shame. I'm right there with you. I will fully confess, this is not an example you should follow. I will fully confess that I've been in Uber cars rides and I've thought to myself, I should share the gospel. And thought to myself, I just don't want to. <laughs> I don't, I don't, and, and I felt that, and that's, that's wrong, because the reality is God has given us something. He's given us something valuable, treasure in jars of clay, and, and we're called to take it to people. Doesn't mean you need to be weird. It doesn't mean you need to go out on the street and, and uh, the street corner and, and pick it and say, you know, everyone, if you don't believe in the gospel, you're going to hell. It does mean that when God gives you opportunity, that you steward those opportunities, when your neighbor comes to you and says, hey, can you pray for me? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm going through a tough time. Hey, when your coworker comes to you and says, hey, I'm, I'm really stressed out, seeing these things as more than just an opportunity to be kind, but as an opportunity to share them with someone, share them information about someone who can meet their needs, who can help them, who can maybe heal, who can maybe provide, and who definitely can, can save. Jesus can provide and he can heal, but he definitely will save anyone who will put their faith in him. We must be about evangelism. Our responsibility is to faithfully share the good news and, and trust God to grant life change. And if, if we're doing this faithfully, then it, it just naturally leads into the next thing that, that we're called to be about, the next value of discipleship. Now, last week I spent a long time talking about discipleship because I talked about Matthew verse. Uh, 18 through 20 of, of Matthew 28. I'll go there and read it briefly, but, but, um, but you can just listen to last week's message. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, it says this, All authority, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus has a mission to make disciples. He doesn't just want, he doesn't just want converts, people who are, are just jumping out of the fire. He wants people who follow him. And maybe you, maybe you grew up in a, a church setting where the goal was not going to hell. And you, and you walk down the altar, 
you prayed a prayer, and that was it. When, when God talks about salvation, he doesn't just talk about a, a single solitary moment that happened. He does talk about it that way in the Bible, but he also talks about being saved and how we will be saved because there is a, a past point of salvation when we put our trust in him, but that should result in a present sanctification, a present becoming more and more like the character and nature of Jesus Christ that will ultimately result in when we come and stand before the judge, he will say, yes, you are my servant, you are my child, come on in. These are all holistic aspects of our salvation and this process that I'm talking about is discipleship. You and I have been commissioned to first be disciples, to be following him in our own lives and then secondly, to invite others to follow Christ as we follow him. We, we follow Christ and then we invite others to follow Christ as we follow him. It, it's not complicated. How do you do this? Well, you start by reading the Bible. Not because it's, you know, this is my religious duty, but because this is what God has given us as his revelation. This is the thing that he, he's given us and said, I love you, this is what I want you to know about all the things I want you to know about. I want you to know about me. I want you to know about nature. I want you to know about creation. I want you to know about you. I want you to know about your, your makeup. I want you to know about what I intended for you to be like and, and how sin has affected that and what, what restoration and redemption does. God wants us to live in a manner that pleases him and the way that we come to understand what that looks like is by reading his Bible every day. Join and, and participate in a small group. Um, small groups are a place we don't do small groups because that's the weird thing that we as a church do. We do small groups because that is a place and it's a way for us to build relationships with other people in a consistent and intentional manner. Many of you, most of you, I would say, when you left high school, you left the ease of easy relationships. Maybe college. You know, I, I think that we grow up and we think it's easy to make friends or maybe it was hard for you to make friends, but it's easier when you're shoved in a room of your peers and, and you do that year after year after year after year. But as you become an adult, you have to become more intentional in building relationships. And if we're honest, we should teach our children and kids, you need to be good friends, not on accident, but on purpose. And you need to build the skill, and we do as adults as well, you need to build the skill of becoming a better friend. Small groups are a place for us to learn how to be better friends, how to care for people, not just because we're in the same grade together, not just because we have the same major, not just because we're coworkers, but because we've decided I'm gonna be here. We care about small groups. You can invite a coworker or a friend to a small group. How do I make disciples? Pastor Eddie, that's, that's for the pastors. No, you can invite someone to a small group. You don't have to do all the things you don't have to be a Bible scholar, but you can tell them, this is what I've learned, this is where I'm going, would you like to join me? Not only, not only in terms of like week to week, hey, I'm going to small group, but in your life, I'm, I'm on this trajectory, would you like to join me? Invite others to learn biblical foundations with you. There's a book that we use called The Purple Book. It's not magic, but it, it covers things like lordship, evangelism, discipleship. It covers a lot of the things that we, we believe to be foundational to uh, to really being a good disciple. Parents, especially dads, read the Bible in front of your kids. And that, that's a command I, I, I try to follow as, my, as well. And I've, I've picked up the, the paper Bible again because 
<laughs> when I'm on my phone and I'm reading the Bible, my, parent, my, my, my kids might think I'm checking the news or trying to play a game, and they, they don't know what I'm doing. But if I just set this down, they're like, oh, daddy's reading his Bible. And I'm not trying to, be, hey, children, it's time for you to watch me read my, no, that's not, but I want my kids to grow up remembering that, hey, my dad used to just sit down and read his Bible every day. I want that to be an impact. Dads, take on that responsibility. Not because moms can't. Moms usually are the ones that default to it because dads don't. But dads, take on the mantle of spiritual authority in your household. And by authority, I mean serving your family as a picture of Christ. Read your Bible with your kids. Teach them what the Bible says and how they can apply it and obey. And this doesn't have to be, you don't have to go from zero to hour and a half long devotion. You can, you can pick a, a one Bible verse, read it with your kids, tell them how it applies to their life, and move on. Pray and move on. Disciple your children. We're, we're almost done here. By the grace of God, we will be a church of disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I'll repeat that. By the grace of God, we will be a church, not just who makes disciples, but who makes disciples who then are people who make disciples. We want to be a, a multiplying disciple-making church, but in order to do that, we need to grow in our leadership as well. Leadership development is important to us because this gospel message has to be brought, and, and in order to do that, we need to steward the influence that we have. I believe it's John Maxwell who said that leadership is influence, and and really, if you, think, if you take away all the trappings and all the, all the business books that you've read about leadership and just boil it down to the fact that you have influence in the lives of others, then that means that you are able to lead them to a conclusion. You're able to lead them into something. And Paul says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, um, well, I'll start in verse one. You then, my child, Paul is talking to Timothy. This is the last letter that he writes to Timothy before he's executed. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses will do what? Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul is talking to Timothy about teaching others who will teach others. It's four generations of leadership, four generations of discipleship, Paul, Timothy, men who will teach others. That's, that's the kind of leadership development that we care about. And the neat thing is, when you become a better leader in your, in your life, in your own life, leading yourself, leading your family, you become a better leader in, in other areas of, of your life. You know, we're not all called to be ministers and pastors, and that's good and appropriate, because you need to be in the marketplace being a light in, in and around other people. I don't get to interact with very many non-Christians apart from you know, walking in, in my neighborhood or, or going to the store or, or to a restaurant, which even that stuff has, whoop, it has narrowed. But, but many of you, that's, that's all that you deal with. When, I remember when I was in the IT world, there were no Christians. <laughs> I worked for a really good godly company for a long time, and so I worked among many Christians. But, but when I was on contract, good gracious, I forgot that the world is a, is a thing, that, that sin and wickedness are prevalent, and that when you don't have the anchor of Christ, you go crazy a little bit in all the directions. And you have an opportunity 
with the influence that God has given you to love people and to share the good news. And, and, and you're able to lead by example. You're able to lead by service. You're able to lead by your words. You're able to lead by your actions. And when I'm talking about leadership, I don't mean that you need to be, you know, Eisenhower. You, you don't need to be John Maxwell. You don't need to be Tony Robbins. You don't need to be someone who's flashy or, or able to give you the 12 keys to good leadership. I'm saying that, that you have the opportunity to exemplify how Christ led. And you know how he led? When everyone was like, I want to be the best. I want to be the best. Hey, I want to be on the right side of the throne. I'm going to be on the left side of the throne. He decided to go serve his people. He, he washed their feet. He gave them an example of what leadership looked like. He loved them. He served them. He sacrificed for them. He took the responsibility of loving them through service and sacrifice. Husbands, as, as leaders in your household, you're not called to domineer over your wife. I'm not called to domineer over my wife. I'm called to love her as Christ loved the church. You know how Christ loves the church? By dying. Not by getting his way and building a man cave. He dies in the end. Now he rises from the dead. But that, that's the picture that we're given. And we're called to, to lead in that way. We're called to be available. What, what are some ways you can grow in your leadership? You can continue to lead yourself. Again, read your Bible, pray, go to church, go to small group, obey God. The more that you're able to walk in integrity in your own life, in your own commitment to God, the more that you will be able to walk in integrity and in a commitment to others around you the more that you're able to steward that leadership and, and say, I'm going to lead myself into following Christ more, the more that you will be able to give an example of that in the lives of others. Lead those that God has entrusted to you. Again, family members, lead those God's entrusted to you. Now, kids, I'm not saying that if you're the firstborn that you need to let, lead the secondborn and the thirdborn. That's not, you'll get opportunities, just slow down. But what I am saying is, is you know, moms, dads, lead your kids. Husbands, Lead your wives in a loving, godly manner. Lead. You can lead um, in, your, in your organization. You can see that as an opportunity to practice Christian leadership. And again, I'm not talking about chapter and verse. I'm talking about walking with the kind of integrity that demands a response. The kind of God-honoring goodness where people look and say, you know what? I see all these other people. I see, I see how these managers lead. I see how they lead with fear and anger and manipulation and gossip. And I see how you just lead in patient goodness. You can lead in that way. You can serve on a service team. Good leaders know how to serve and follow. You can serve on a service team and you can be available. Be available. So what have we said so far? We are about lordship. We're about evangelism. We're about discipleship, leadership development. And the last thing that we are about is family. I'm so pumped that there are so many kids here, as a side note. It feels good. Um, family is it's the building block of all society. And that's not, that's not hyperbole. God created humanity. And then he was like, you know what? One guy is not good. Hmm. Let me give him a wife. Because men by themselves, not a good story. 
I'm just kidding. Mostly. Sort of kidding. No, it wasn't good because Jesus said, God said it wasn't good. He said it. He said it. He said it. Not me. He said it. Family is the building block of all society. Um, it's not just something that God made as part of creation. It's also intrinsic to the Trinity itself. So before God decided, I'm going to make family, he existed as father and son. Father, son, and Holy Spirit. But, but fatherhood and, and sonship, this relationship was something that has existed before God decided to create humanity. And, and so it's important to God. And, and husbands and wives, he didn't create marriage and, and then look at that and say, you know what, that's, that's a good picture of the church. I'm going to use that when I talk about the church. No, he created husbands and wives because he wanted us to have a picture of what his relationship to his people was going to be like. Do you understand the difference? Marriage didn't come before God's plan for redemption. God's plan for redemption was, was the reason for which he gave us marriage. It gives us a picture. Because marriage and family are institutions enacted by God, it's important that we protect and care for them. We love our family members. We forgive our family members. Kids, that means that you learn to forgive your siblings. That you, you learn to say, I'm sorry, and you learn to say, I forgive you. And you learn to listen to your parents. Parents, that means that you learn to be patient with your kids and, and exemplify Christ-like discipline and love and nurturing. Husbands, care for and leave your wives as Christ cares for and, and sacrifices for the church. Wives, love and respect your husbands like the church does Christ. And again, it bears repeating. Children, honor and respect and obey your parents. And everyone, love others as you would have them love you. This is, when we talk about biological family, this is what God wants us to have. But he doesn't just put us in biological families. He also gives us spiritual families, namely the church. In light of the fact that we are in Christ, Paul exhorts us, to live in unity and love towards one another. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. And one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you hear the, the one, 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 one? He's making a point. He's saying that we need to be one. There's a unity that God desires in his church. There's a, a unity that God desires in his people. And that unity is an expression of us being family, having familial relationships, being brothers and sisters. You and I, we need one another and we benefit from one another. When you, when you aren't here, your participation here adds something to the mix. You know, something that we used to say often was that when you're here, we're better, and when you're not, we, we, we have something missing. That is true. When you're here, we're better. Online, when you're here, you're better. I mean online. I don't mean we wish you were here, we do, but we're happy that you're there and we, we want to honor the fact that you're here with us. And when you don't participate, 
we're worse off for it because we're family. And we have the privilege of having a weekly family reunion, seeing each other every week, getting to hear from our dad, not me, but God, getting to hear from our, our father, getting to celebrate, getting to see one another, participate with one another, encourage one another. Family matters, both biological and spiritual. So we've talked about five values, and these are, these are things that are important to who we are. And I, I wanted to, to relate them to Jesus. We talked about how this is, this is Christ-centered values. And, and I wanted to, to say it this way. We as a church, Grace Covenant Church, we're about Jesus. We're about Jesus being our Lord. We're about Jesus being our message. We're about Jesus being the one we follow. We're about Jesus being our leadership paradigm. We're about Jesus being our big brother, our access to our father, and our example of marriage. We are about Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you need to be about Jesus. That's, that's what we're called to. We want people to encounter who? Jesus. To experience biblical community where who is being represented in the character and the attitudes of those other people? Jesus. We're extending the kingdom of who? Jesus. Our mission is, is awesome because we have a great God and King, King Jesus. The vision to win the city is awesome because we're winning it for who? Jesus. And, and when you and I close our eyes and depart from this world, we will come face to face with who? Jesus. We're all about Jesus. And because of that, we're all about his lordship, about evangelism, about discipleship, about leadership development, and about family. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that that you've expressed so much of who you are that you've revealed yourself in the person and the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that we as individuals and then as a body of believers would be committed to following you as our Lord. That we would be committed to stewarding this gospel message, sharing it with those who would listen. That we would be committed to helping others follow Christ as we do so ourselves that we'd be committed to stewarding and, and caring for and protecting the influence that you've given us for your good. That we would be committed to the families that you've placed us in, both biological and spiritual. God, I pray that we would be committed to you. And in our commitment to you, Lord, that you would fulfill us. Lord, I thank you that your word says, blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in your law, in your word, in your revelation, and they meditate on it day and night. And the picture that you give us of a person who is founded and who finds his or her delight in you is the picture of a tree that is 
luscious and flourishing and in drinking by the, the, the spring of life. That's the picture that you have for us. If you're in this room and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're online and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the good news is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he gave his only son, that whoever trusts in him, whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but have everlasting life, eternal life. If that's you, if you are trusting Jesus today in a way that you've never done so before, my encouragement to you is to pray this. God, I want to turn away from everything I know to be sin. I want to turn to you, Jesus, and trust you. Thank you for your salvation. Help me to walk out this life of discipleship. Help me to walk knowing that you are Lord. Help me to honor you in my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you, let us know. If you're in the room, you can come down and, and pray with one of our, our leaders. If you're online, you can press uh, the button that says uh, raise your hand or you can, you can just let one of our hosts know. Love you, family. God loves you. We're about Jesus.